Welcome, everyone, to BAMS Radio here on this Thursday, October the 19th, 2007. The Alabama Crimson Tide, 7-0, number one in the country, coming off a 41-9 methodical dissection, I guess is the best way to put it, of the Arkansas Razorbacks. The 1992 National Championship team was back in town this past weekend. It was great to be there, had a chance to watch it as a fan, was not in the press box, but was inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. And, of course, my next guest uh, was, a, was a big part of that team in 1992 and was, uh, you know, from 89 to 1993, a big member of the Crimson Tide, the 1992 National Champions, the team of the decade uh, in the 90s. Uh, that uh, won one of the biggest games in Crimson Tide history in that 93 Sugar Bowl over the Miami Hurricanes, and that is William Redfish Barger. William, welcome back to BAMS Radio. How are you? Doing great, Drew. How are you and Thomas doing tonight? We're doing good. You know, we uh, we uh, are, are glad to be back and uh, have and be able to kind of uh, talk about the past weekend. And I, man, I know uh, you know that uh, that you weren't able to make it. You had a family situation you had to attend to. Uh, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, but I know uh, a lot of your teammates made it back. Uh, it looked like to me there was well over a hundred uh, former players, coaches, managers, and part of that team. It was a, a great, uh, you know, occasion. And I know you uh, watched from afar, but uh, great to have all those guys back in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, you know, I hated that I couldn't be there. Um, I, I've already given uh, you know a lot of people uh, commitments that I'll be there for the thirtieth you know, reunion. Um, but you know, it's that that's one of the benefits of social media these days. You can look at pictures and, you know, tweets and Instagram posts and it almost makes you feel like you were there even when you weren't. Uh, but no, it was a great turnout. Um, you know, I thought it was, um, outstanding to see, uh, you know, coach Stallings get a chance to interact with Dabo and, you know, all the players, excuse me, the coaches that, you know, were initially on Coach Stallings' staff at Alabama, you know, Danny Perriman, Woody McCorvey, um, you know, a former player in, in Lemansky Hall, uh, you know, some, some uh, you know, front office people like Thad Turnipseed and Paul Hogan. Um, they were able to come down. I think Dabo, um, you know, made a, a big – um, you know, effort to get all those guys, um, you know, and especially you got to give them credit, you know, following that heartbreaking loss they had last Friday night to Syracuse. Um, you know, I don't think anybody would have begrudged Dabo for, you know, kind of tucking his tail and, you know, not showing his face. But, you know, he was there live and living color, um, shaking hands, taking pictures, you know, as was the rest of his coaching staff, which has a huge um, Alabama flavor to it. And, uh, you know, from, from everybody that I've talked to and the pictures that I've seen, um, it was a fantastic uh, reunion. Um, you know, everybody you know, everybody that was there um, had a great time. And, uh, you know, then, of course, um, you know, they kicked off and they played Arkansas. They certainly did. And uh, Alabama winning that game impressively, 41-9. to uh, you know, I, the only little lull in the game was it, it was basically over by the middle of the first quarter. Alabama started quickly again, has been kind of their M.O. this year. They got up 17 to nothing. And then uh, from that point forward uh, until, uh, you know, some of the early stages of the third quarter, they, they kind of struggled offensively. The offensive line 
you know, had trouble protecting Jalen. Uh, but it was interesting because, as I said, I was uh, watching from a, a perspective of, you know, behind the offensive line. And you got a chance to kind of see uh, how the plays unfolded and how they were blocked from the point of attack. And it was really a great seat. I enjoyed it. And uh, I, I will say this, I, I just coming away from it offensively, when Alabama was most effective in the game, and, of course, they went for the second straight uh, uh, week, uh, they, they score on the first play of the game. Uh, this time, Jalen Hurts, 70, or excuse me, uh, Damian Harris with the handoff from Jalen Hurts uh, goes 75 yards for a touchdown on a zone play where he cut back. Uh, just watching this team, William, I know because of the kind of quarterback that Jalen is, being the dual threat, uh, you know, and, and the outstanding runner, it's it's I never thought, you know, we'd we'd see this. But when Gus Malzahn came to Auburn, he was running kind of a, a spread option, running attack, a zone read attack. And now, uh, to me, he's got a quarterback in Jarrett Stidham that's more suited for a pro style offense. Alabama now has a quarterback in Jalen Hurst that's so dynamic that they need to be kind of doing what Auburn's doing. And to me, they, they can still do some, you know, uh, some under center and some one back and some things like that and get and, and you know and, and and run the football and and do some quick game and, and Jalen Hurst can operate from the pocket throw some slants and things but I think 80% of the time this team needs to be in the spread option to take full advantage of uh, Jalen Hurst as a runner and make the defense account for him on every play what are your thoughts on that um, I, I totally agree with you Drew and you know I see you know, more and more comments, you know, I saw a lot of them last year, you know, you see them more this year from Auburn fans um, about, you know, Jalen Hurts kind of being maybe the the prototypical quarterback for Gus Malzahn's offense. And you see a lot of, you know, jealousy from Auburn fans, you know, you know, why didn't Gus identify this guy and, you know, recruit him to, uh, to Auburn? Uh, but I agree with you. I, I would add one more dimension to um, the schematic stuff that you just discussed is I think that um, that they seem to get into more of a rhythm and be more effective when they go hurry up. Um, you know, when they go hurry up, things seems to, you know, work more smoothly. And, you know, to me, I, I was kind of a little bit disappointed um, you know, in that Arkansas game. Um, and and that, that was, you know, all of my focus was kind of totally on the offensive line. Um, I was disappointed in the offensive line's performance against Texas A&M, but I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because, you know, they, they are, they're the number two team in the country in sacks. Um, but, you know, there were numerous times over and over again against Arkansas last Saturday night where, um, you know, Jalen didn't have a clean pocket to throw out of. Um, if it was a five-step drop, um, not, uh, numerous times he didn't even get a chance to put his back foot in the ground uh, before the pocket collapsed around him. And, you know, I think, you know, you've seen Nick Saban be really consistent during the course of the season. Um, I think he's done a really good job of trying to educate Alabama fans on – you know, what it takes for a passing game to be consistent. You know, it's no different than, you know, kicking an extra point. Um, you know, the long snapper has to make a good snap. The holder has to make a good hold. And, and you know, the kicker has to make a solid kick. And it's it's the same thing for the passing game. Um, 
you know, the center has to make a good snap if they're in the shotgun. Um, you know, there has to be a solid pocket there for the quarterback to operate out of. And, uh, you know, if, if you're in a five-step drop with five-step uh, drop protection, you know, it's up to the offensive line to provide that uh, barrier for the quarterback. And, you know, I just saw uh, on numerous times Saturday night against Arkansas, which, you know, is, is not going to be really indicative of the defenses that this Alabama team um, is going to see. You know, it's, it's probably uh, equal to what they're going to see Saturday versus Tennessee. But if you look forward in the schedule, uh, you know, during the month of uh, November, um, they're going to see an uptick in competition with, with, you know, LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn. And, uh, you know, that, that to me is still, um, you know, the glaring weakness of this team is, is the inconsistent O-line play. You know, they do a good job of blocking at the point of attack and creating cutback, uh, cutback lines for, you know, Damian Harris. But, you know, if, if Alabama fans want to see this passing game, um, you know, get past, you know, where it is right now, it all starts and stops with the offensive line. It does, and I've said before that uh, it all starts up front, and they've got to do a better job, and and that's why I think because this group, I mean, it goes back to what Phil Savage told me early in the season that he felt like this was not going to be a dominant offensive line; it was going to be solid at best, and they're obviously not uh, a super pass protection unit. Uh, they they're averaging 300 yards rushing per game, so if you do the spread option and the RPO game. Uh, and make them account for Jalen's legs on every play, then I think it's going to help this offensive line. Also, they and they and they adjusted to this in the third quarter, you know, kind of d- doing some slide protection and move the pocket. You need to move the pocket with Jalen uh, because he's. I think he's better on the run throwing the football anyway, uh, and it puts some pressure on the perimeter, uh, you know. And uh, I think uh, overall, I hope they they start doing that and then just mix in some of the as I said, the quick game and the slants and stuff like that, and then take a shot, but but kind of do it uh, like Dennis Franchoni used to. When you're running the football, uh, then you, you uh, off the RPO, you take a deep shot. You know, maybe freeze the secondary, freeze the linebackers, and uh, and get these wide receivers loose. I still think you can build a, uh, a, a passing game that's to be feared with these wide receivers out of a spread option attack. No, I agree with you. And I think, you know, you've seen um, going all the way back to the, the Florida State game um, where, you know, Calvin Ridley lines up in the slot, runs a quick slant. Um, you know, he and Hurts have had some, some continuity there where they've connected on that play, um, you know, a couple of times. Um, you know, I agree with you. You know, it's up to Brian Dayball and Nick Saban to, you know, mold this passing attack. Um, you know, around the strengths of what Jalen Hurts and these wide receivers can do. Um, you know, I, I think the you know I, I give the offensive line a you know a B plus grade against Arkansas for the holes that they opened up. You know, in the running game, but you know that's still the you know kind of the question mark to me going forward when they when they face that you know uptick in competition in the month of November. Um, you know, against, you know, LSU and Jeffrey Simmons at Mississippi State and, you know, Marlon Davidson and those defensive linemen that Auburn have. Um, 
I, I would like to see a you know a, a better designed offensive attack, you know, take advantage of um, you know what Alabama's offense can currently do at this time. You know that you know that that kind of that that you know what I would call a dig route where you you know you come in, put your foot in the ground, like like Henry Ruggs did versus Texas A and M, where he froze the linebacker and then and faded back out, ran a fade, and Jalen hit him in stride. You know, for that touchdown versus Texas A&M. You know, I want to see more of that. Um, I think, you know, what I saw, and you know, I think, Drew, you've already said this, um, versus Arkansas Saturday night, um, you know, roll Jalen out some more, you know, whether it's to the right or the left. Um, you know, I think he does a good job of throwing the ball on the run. Um, and, and, again, you know, we're kind of playing – uh, you know, finger painting and, and, you know, pick, you know, connect the dots here. Um, yeah, Alabama's offense has been very good uh, when they get in a rhythm, you know, they pick up third downs, um, you know, on the ground rushing the football. Damian Harris has emerged. It's obvious that he's, you know, running back one. Um, you know, he's, uh, <clears throat> you know, got better statistics um, from a um, – you know, yards per carry average and, and touchdowns, you know, comparing him to a lot of people think that's the leading Heisman Trophy candidate and Saquon Barkley from Penn State. Um, you know, Harris has better stats. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of what I want to see them do versus Tennessee is, you know, let, let the coaching staff start do a better, you know, start doing a better job of, putting this offense in a position to be successful um, with what the pieces of the puzzle they put out on the field every Saturday, what those guys do well. I don't think there's any doubt that, it, you know, if you play Tua Tungvaluwa, he's a different kind of quarterback. So you could do, uh, you know, more uh, things from the pocket and a more of a drop-back passing game with his quick release and his accuracy. But with Jalen Hurts, I mean – He's not as accurate a quarterback, but he's accurate enough. I mean, he's got a strong enough arm. Uh, he's just going to have to be a different kind of passing attack. And at the same time, uh, we've said this ad nauseum, uh, even with the with the, the quick release of, of uh, Tua Tungvaluwa, with the way this uh, offensive line is pass protected, he might have taken a, several sacks uh, that Jalen Hurts has got the athletic ability to get away from. But again, still a pretty solid performance overall. Uh, I did like the bootleg touchdown to Henry Ruggs, another nice play call. And when you're running the football well, that's an excellent play call for uh, Jalen Hurts to uh, to be able to execute. Uh, it gives him a run-pass option, and I think they need to do that quite often with the misdirection. And again, they didn't ta- target Robert Foster in the game except for one time, and I believe he ran the wrong route early, which doesn't surprise anyone. I think we're going to start seeing more and more and Nick Saban's referenced it of the three freshmen, uh, you know, Devontae Smith uh, and Jerry Judy, who had a 29-yard catch, and then Ruggs with his fourth touchdown. And I think that's what we need to see, William. No, I totally agree with you, Drew. Um, you know, despite Robert Foster's, um, you know, measurables, and don't get me wrong, I mean, the guy's um, got a, a first-round um, you know, blue book of, of measurables, you know, height, weight, you know, what he runs. But, you know, this is his fourth year in the system. Um, 
you know, the reason he hasn't played more prior to this point, um, you know, I think you can go back and watch his performance versus Texas A&M. And, you know, he even had some struggles against Arkansas with that stuff. And, you know, the way I look at it, and, you know, nobody's paying me $11 million to make this decision. But, you know, I wouldn't totally put Robert Foster on the shelf. But, you know, I do think it's time to, you know, maybe look at uh, Jerry, Judy, and Henry Ruggs getting more looks, more reps than maybe Robert Foster and Cam Sims. Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, I think you can still involve the two seniors, but uh, these two, three freshmen are too talented, and along with Calvin Ridley, and I think they're going to be the ones that can make explosive plays uh, down the stretch, no doubt. And then Bo Scarborough, he, 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 with his power, he's a, a good complement to Damian Harris, but we're starting to see them work Josh Jacobs back in more and more. And just from the, the vantage point where I was able to watch Josh Jacobs uh, you know, and watch him, the way he attacks holes and the way he runs William, he's a guy that I think is going to continue to get more and more uh, touches in this offense and be more and more involved. I think Bo Scarborough is a good running back, but the, there's a couple things. He's not a guy that's very elusive. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle. And then vision uh, he he missed the hole about 50% of the time that I was watching on Saturday. Still had a very solid game, but I don't think he has the vision of the other three guys, Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, and even Najee Harris. And I think, and I made this statement to some people, I think he's that Josh Jacobs is a better running back, pure back, than, uh, than Bo Scarborough. Bo is still going to have a role on this team, but I'm going to be very interested to see uh, how much Josh Jacobs' role grows from this point forward. Well, I can, you know, dial up one specific play Saturday night that, you know, really, you know, kind of encompasses, you know, what you're talking about from a positive standpoint with Josh Jacobs, and I totally agree with you. Um, You know, I think from, you know, Brian Dayball's standpoint, you know, you saw some of the other, you know, plays that he's dialed up for Josh Jacobs where he's made explosive plays. But, you know, the, the one thing that, bothered me about the game outside of the offensive line Saturday night was, you know, there, there was a play, I think it was in the first half, probably halfway through the second quarter, um, where Arkansas blitzed and the inside linebacker came through the A-gap. And all, all yep. Bo Scarborough had to do was to square up on the guy. You know, he didn't have to pancake the guy he didn't have to dominate him all he had to do was get in the way and you know he just kind of stuck his right shoulder out there and you know the 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 inside linebacker for arkansas you know beat Bo scarborough and it caused a uh uh, an incompletion because he wasn't you know totally committed to uh the blitz pickup package and you know I like Bo. I think he's a, a great player. He's a you know fantastic athlete. But you know that's one of the constants that's been there for Nick Saban's offense since he took over in 2007 is the attention to detail, and you're you're going to do things right. You're not going to fumble. You're going to pick up blitzes. Um, you're going to high point the ball and, and, you know, not turn it over when you do run between the tackles. 
and I'm talking about Burton Burns. And, you know, that play that we're talking about with Bo Scarborough, I can promise you he was not taught pass protection uh, by Burton Burns to take on that blitzing linebacker the way that he did. So would it surprise me if uh, Josh Jacobs became the complement back uh, behind Damian Harris and maybe Najee Harris uh, even slid up a little bit higher? No, it wouldn't. Yeah, and I mean, this goes back to something that you said coming, uh, you know, out of fall camp last year that you, uh, Bo had had an outstanding spring and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, bro- and broken a lot of long runs. And then by the time the A-Day game came around, he didn't perform as well. And you had heard that fall camp had not gone that well and that he was not, you know, doing the, the little things as far as a pass catcher, running routes, picking up the blitz, blocking, and, it took Bo about halfway through last season before he started coming on and getting more action and then, of course, was looking so good in the college football playoff. But you're right. It's the little things, and I remember that play, and I watched it unfold, and Bo was. He did not handle the blitz well. He could have given Jalen more time. And uh, and the one thing that we heard in the spring that Brian Dayball liked the most because he started the spring game, of course, Bo was coming back from an injury as well, but he likes the fact that uh, Josh Jacobs is such a well-rounded player and that he can do everything well, which is block, uh, catch, and run. Yeah, and I think you're going to see that. You know, I think, you know, Alabama's offense has been, you know, so dominant, um, you know, so far through this season. But, you know, let's be honest. Um, I don't know – you know, just how many elite defenses that they faced. You know, certainly it wasn't Ole Miss. Certainly it wasn't uh, last Saturday versus Arkansas. I think what you have to look at is comparing the two from the Florida State game in game one, uh, you know, versus uh, two weeks ago against Texas A&M. I think somewhere between, you know, those two games, you can get a pretty good, um, you know, indicator of, of where they're at. And, you know, Drew, it's it's a, it's a you know, I hate to quote the Clintons because I'm not a fan of the Clintons, but, you know, in politics and football, you know, some things ring true. Um, you know, it takes a village to raise a kid, and it takes a village to, um, you know, put a, a, a proficient offense out on the field. And I think they're, the components are there for this Alabama offense to do exactly what they want to do against any defense that they play, but they've got to get better offensive line play. Um, you know, they're, they're, they, they, you can't, you know, you, you can't be um, a elite run blocking unit and just totally fail over and over again as pass blockers as an offensive line. Um but, you know, they've got the weapons to do exactly what they want to do against any opponent that they face. But they've got to clean the mistakes up. You can't have, you know, Bo Scarborough not willing to, you know, uh, sacrifice more of his body than his right shoulder when a linebacker blitzes the A-gap. Um, you know, you can't have a fourth-year guy like Robert Foster that's been in the program for that length of time that uh, doesn't know where he's supposed to line up, 
uh, misses his route, you know, has a drop, has a fumble. Um, you know, that's why I was saying what I said before. Um, you know, it might be time to move past Robert Foster and Cam Sims. I, you know, I think these three freshmen uh, wide receivers, you know, Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, and Devonta Smith. I mean, Drew, if you'd have asked me, let's just pretend like we're not talking uh, midway through October. If you'd asked me this question um, back in May, let's just say, you know, May 15th, whether I thought Devonta Smith could line up in the SEC and be a functioning wide receiver. And I, what I mean by that is, you know, I never doubted his ability to run a route or catch a pass. But for him at 165 pounds to, you know, go out there and, and you know, stock block and, uh, you know, take down SEC defensive backs with his limited size, you know, I'd have laughed at you. But he's good at that, and he's ready to go. So, you know, and I think um, probably, too, um, I think the quicker that Alabama can dispatch Tennessee this weekend and get to that off week, um, you know, you might see a uh, a totally different Alabama offense, um, you know, face LSU when they come calling. And uh, that's a good point, William, uh, no doubt about that. And defensively, I thought Alabama did some good things against Arkansas. Uh, they They did give up the drive late in the first half, but they – had kind of the goal line stand. Uh, they gave up a field goal early in the third quarter, and then the backups give up the touchdown on fourth down. Nick Saban wasn't too happy about that. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the the key to the drive in the first half was, uh, you know, Anthony Averett and Hootie Jones uh, turning a receiver loose. They gave up a, one that one deep ball, which really hadn't happened that much this year. And then again, Coach Saban not too happy uh, with the backups late in the game when they let them drive and convert uh, you know, some second and third down opportunities. But overall, I still thought they got a chance to play a lot of young guys and uh, they, had, they had a chance to, uh, you know, really uh, play. And I think that's how you develop quality depth when you get a chance to play those uh, play uh, play those guys. And we saw Mac Wilson get another uh, athletic interception that I thought was huge. And he continues to me. He had a stupid penalty early. That he, got, he, got, he drew the ire of Nick Saban in the first half on a taunting play. Uh, on when he was playing special teams. But the one thing I, I will say about 30 is he will play hard and plays uh, through the whistle and 100 miles per hour. And we saw Rashawn Evans, uh, the senior, he's uh, coming back from that groin injury. I thought he played his best game against Texas A&M, but then he built on that, had two sacks against Arkansas. And him continuing to, do, to become a pass rushing force is going to be really key as this season rolls on. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I think Mac Wilson, um, and I, I don't, you know, don't quote me on this, but I see a lot of the same attributes in Mac Wilson that I saw in Reuben Foster. You know, they, they've kind of followed the same career path. Um, you know, first two years for Reuben, he was a special teams guy. Um, you know, had to wait his turn behind Reggie Ragland. Uh, you know, I think Mac Wilson has basically done the same thing. But, man, what a huge impact that guy's made um, in special teams play his first two years on campus. And, and I love the way that that kid plays the game. I mean, angry, violent, 
Um, when he arrives on the scene, he, he turns people's lights out. I love Mac Wilson. Um, you know, going to, going over to Rashawn Evans, um, you know, I think that guy, you know, is probably the, the, the prototypical linebacker for what Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt and Tosh LePoy, you know, need to make as the blueprint going forward from 2017 and beyond for guys that they want to sign. I mean, you know, when you see that guy change direction in space and the way he's able to redirect, um, you can't coach that. It's a God-given ability um, that that kid's got in his hips. Going to be a high first-round draft choice, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing, Drew, that's really, you know, struck me uh, on the defensive side of the football for Alabama is, you know, you've got two young guys, um, a true freshman in LeBron Ray and a redshirt freshman in Quentin Williams um, that are getting more and more reps on that defensive line. And, you know, they're guys that are uh, quick twitch, change directions well. Um, you know, I would even say, um, you know, you compare uh, Quentin Williams and LeBron Ray's change of direction versus even Deron Payne. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are Alabama fans that think Deron Payne is going to be a slam dunk first round draft pick uh, next April. I'm not one of them. I think his pass rush has to improve and his change of direction has to improve. And I think there's other defensive linemen on Alabama's team that probably have those attributes that Duran does. You know, if you're running straight at Duran Payne, he's probably the best defensive tackle in college football. But if you go back and you watch that Texas A&M game and that, that Arkansas game, you know, you get to see that next wave of talent coming through there, Drew. And, you know, the Mac Wilsons, the Quinnen Williams, the LeBron Rays, um, there's plenty of front seven talent there. Where where I see the you know the next deficit coming into play is Alabama has to be great at the next wave of safeties and cornerbacks that they bring into this program, and I think that should be the focal point of this 2018 recruiting class that they bring in. Yes, there's no doubt. It needs to be defensive line and and, uh, and DB heavy. Uh, and they and, uh, and and because of those uh, deficiencies in Deron Payne's game, in other words, not being a guy that's known as a great pass rusher, he's uh, you know not been in a lot of uh, first round uh, mock drafts so far. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about him, and, and I've even said the same thing that I thought he would probably move on after the season. But you're thinking that he may need to work more on his game and there could be a chance that, that he returns uh, for his senior season in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, I, we, we've touched on the reasons why. And, and again, you know, timing is everything if you're, if you're looking to come out in the NFL draft. And there's a ton of, of defensive tackles that are draft eligible, um, you know, in this year's draft. And, you know, I'm not saying that, it's a slam dunk that Deron Payne comes back. You know, he could have a monster, uh, you know, game against uh, Tennessee, LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn, and he's gone. 
but based on the, the body of work that he's put forth this year, um, and he's done a great job. I don't want people to think that I'm being critical of Deron Payne. You know, if you run right at that guy, um, I, I don't care if you've got a, you know, an Outland, Lombardi, or Remington candidate running right at him. You ain't going nowhere. But there's there's more things that it that it comes into play for being an elite, you know, one, three, uh, you know, defensive tackle candidate for the NFL draft. Um, you know, there's there's one category there where he excels at. But, you know, I think that change of direction and that pass rush ability is going to have to get better before he's a slam dunk first-round draft pick in, in next April's draft. And, boy, that would be huge for Alabama if they could get, you know, Deron Payne back. You know, they need a defensive lineman in this class, William, and coming up and, you know, they have one committed in Stephon Wynn, but he's more of a Dalvin Tomlinson type. They haven't got a commitment from a nose guy yet. Uh, I know that they're trying to find another defensive tackle. Uh, one of the big ones is Bobby Brown uh, from uh, uh, from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. He'll be taking an official visit this weekend. But he's not known really as a nose guy. He's known as a, uh, a combo guy that can play inside and out. Uh, also, Caleb Tremblay from the junior college, American River Junior College, is more of a, a three. He can play uh, end in a 3-4. Uh, and probably play inside in some four-man fronts, but he's not a nose either. Uh, if Alabama doesn't sign another interior defensive tackle, uh, I know they're trying to find one, but they're hard to find. Uh, could that even be a sign that they think Duran may come back? Yeah, I think it could be. But, you know, I, I would I would task you with this chore, Drew. Um, you know, I think Payne is probably on the tail end of a, uh, you know, a, a player, you know, uh, you know, with, with tangibles there. You know, just how many more Deron Paynes do they need? I mean, if you look at where the game of college football is going and you look around the country, you know, you look at, uh, you know, what Kelly Bryant was doing at Clemson prior to getting hurt. You, know, you look at what Baker Mayfield's doing. You look at what J.T. Barrett's doing. Um, you know, those those type of defensive linemen are few and far between um, with an elite skill set. Um, you know, the offenses continue to evolve. You know, you've got to have guys. That's why I was saying earlier when we were talking about Rashawn Evans, you put a premium on a guy like Rashawn Evans that can – you know, line up an inside linebacker. Uh, if you want him to blitz, he blitzes. If you want to line him up on the edge, he's got the skills to, you know, turn his shoulders and duck and dive. Um, you know, you got to have guys that can change directions. And, you know, Deron Payne is a freak of a defensive lineman. If you want to line up and say, hey, guess what? We're coming through the, uh, the A or the B gap and, you know, stop us if you can. You know, that was kind of what, you know, Les Miles and uh, Cam Cameron's biggest mistakes were the last two years, you know, trying to run Leonard Fournette through that A and B gap versus Deron Payne. But as the game continues to evolve, you've got to have guys that can play in space. And, you know, Payne can't play in space right now. Um, you know, Quinnen Williams, uh, LeBron Ray, um, you know, even even guys like, you know, uh, Raekwon Davis and Isaiah Bugs, 
Um, you know, I would say that those two guys are more Deron Painish versus, you know, Quinnen Williams and uh, LeBron Ray are more like Jonathan Allen, you know, a big guy that's 285 pounds that, you know, a, a dual-threat quarterback just can't, you know, double pump or shake and bake and just put somebody on the ground in front of them. That, that's what you've got to have at, at the front seven positions. Um, you know, as, as the game of college football continues to evolve, I mean, uh, when JT, uh, JT Barrett gets gone, they've got Tate Martell at Ohio State. Um, you know, Clemson has is, is got a dual-threat guy in Kelly Bryant. You know, once Trevor Lawrence comes in next year, um, he's more of a pro-style guy. Um, you, know, you look over there at Georgia with, with Jake Fromm and what he's doing right now, but, you know, the Fields kids coming in next year, um, I expect Jacob Eason to transfer out of there. You've got to be able to make plays with your feet. And, you know, that's what I think Alabama and Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt are looking for on the defensive side of the football. And uh, I'm just going to be a devil's advocate and say Deron Payne turns professional. And, and, and then, of course, they may end up signing, a, you know, another defensive tackle. They've, they've offered Christian uh, Barmore in Philadelphia. They're looking at uh, Robert Cooper. Great player. Yeah, Great player. Yeah, and Robert Cooper, who's committed to Florida State and Georgia. So, they, you know, they're, they're trying to decide, you know, and, and they'd like to take another defensive tackle. But for guys that are returning on the team, uh, we haven't seen him because he's redshirting. What kind of interior defensive lineman, or, or do we even know yet, uh, is Federian Mathis going to be? Um, you know, I think it's too early to tell. Um, but, you know, I would give you um, – some, some, you know, starting and stopping points with each, you know, player. Um, you know, I think Jonathan Allen is kind of the mold that you would look for as a, you know, five-technique defensive end that can slide inside and play over an offensive guard in the center, athletic, change directions. Uh, Ryan Anderson is the – a uh, start and stop point as a jack linebacker that can slide, you know, play defensive end. Um, I would say, you know, right now on this team, um, you know, Anthony Jennings is probably the Ryan Anderson. Um, you know, Isaiah Bugs is probably the Deron Payne 2.0. Uh, but, you know, they've got those two young guys, Drew, um, Quentin Williams and LeBron Ray that kind of have everything that you look for. And, uh, you know, that's why I would say, if you know, if I was in the middle of the multi-million dollar recruiting meeting um, that takes place every Monday morning at 730, um, you know, you go out there and you sign guys like a Jordan Davis from Memphis or, you know, the Enoma kid from the D.C. area, the, the, the Latu kid from uh, – uh, Utah, um, you know, th- that's that's the Jeremy Pruitt influence on Nick Saban. You know, he wants long guys that can run. Um, he's not looking for the Quentin Dials or the uh, Ed Stinsons that are, 
you know, just two gap players that do a great job. But, you know, if you get them in space, they can't change directions. And that is a huge part of college football right now. You know, I would say go back to, you know, the first Clemson-Alabama uh, meeting two years ago in the national championship game and watch Ashawn Robinson uh, versus Deshaun Watson or watch Jaron Reed versus Ashawn Robinson. I mean, uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, you've got to be able to change directions in space to deal with these dual-threat quarterbacks. Yeah, you really do. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how Fedarian Mathis develops, even Johnny Dwight. Dwight's giving him some quality snaps. Would he be ready to take on a bigger yeah, role yes. You know, uh, next year as a senior? Uh, but we'll see if Deron Payne leaves. You know, you may be right. It may be that he needs to continue to expand his game. We saw – Jonathan Allen come back and really improve his draft stock. He went from a guy that was probably going to go in the second round to someone that ended up being a mid-first-round draft choice. So they may uh, bring Duran back, and uh, it's possible that he could try to you know improve as a three-down player uh, and continue to get better, uh, you know, uh, r- rushing the passer and uh, and and you know and benefit from a senior season. We'll see. As you said, he may have a monster, you know, end to this next season. Uh, but uh, it does seem like pass rushers are what is more, uh, you know, uh, at a premium in the NFL uh, for uh, right now. And so Deron Payne it may not be a slam dunk to turn professional. And uh, we'll see about that. And we'll see where Alabama goes in this recruiting class. It's a huge weekend for them. Bobby Brown being on campus, as we mentioned, uh, he, he's someone that uh, they've been targeting for a long time. They're trying to you know, thwart off a late push by Texas A&M and uh, get him on board. He's going to commit on November the 2nd. I don't think he's changed that date. So Bobby Brown from the same high school as uh, current Alabama offensive lineman Chris Owens was a standout at Alabama's camp. We hear he's the number one defensive lineman overall on their board. And then William, from a defensive backfield perspective, Alabama's got as good a secondary, I think, as there is in college football this year. But most of those guys are going to be moving on, including – Right now, Ronnie Harrison and Minka Fitzpatrick both look like first-round picks. Uh, many people think Minka could be the best you know, defensive back in college football, so they're going to need to sign at least, in my opinion, at least four more uh, defensive backs. They have Jalen Armour Davis committed, but as you've uh, been saying this week, uh, you know, LSU's kind of righted the ship a little bit with a couple of wins uh, the last two weeks, but they have an interesting road trip coming up to Ole Miss, then they come to Tuscaloosa, and it could end up being a uh, an Alabama-LSU battle for one of the best defensive backs in the country, and that is uh, Patrick Sertain in the state of Florida. Yeah, you know, I thought that was interesting earlier this week when uh, Sertain came out and, you know, what, he, you know, he didn't publicly decommit, but he came out and said that LSU is no longer his leader. Now, um, for, for me watching recruiting from afar as long as I have, I would say that, you know, that would say that Alabama, LSU, and Florida State are probably all on equal ground for Patrick Sertain. And, you know, why why this kid is so important, you know, to the Alabama recruiting class is he's rated as the number one overall player on Alabama's board in any any position. So, you know, that's a guy that they want to get. Um, you, know, there, you know, you've got to bring in the factor, you know, Tyson Campbell, uh, Josh Job, 
uh, you know, Nadab Joseph or whatever that kid's name is. I'm probably butchering it, but um, I think that, you know, the emphasis has shifted over from uh, what most people thought was going to be the emphasis of this recruiting class. It's not the defensive line. It's signing four or five guys on the back end of that, that defense that, you know, can come in next year and be willing to play. Um, you know, you've seen this over and over again, Drew. You know, guys like Drake Kirkpatrick, uh, Daquan Menzi, uh, God, what was the kid's name from uh, Millbrook that uh, – Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, D. Milner. D. Milner, you know, those guys. You know, even a Marlon Humphrey, you know, that had to take a, uh, a red shirt here to get bigger and stronger. You know, that's what they're looking at next year for this defense. Um, you know, they've got to all be ready to play. I'm not saying they have to start or, you know, be frontline players, but, you know, they got to put themselves in a position because, you know, the, the guys that Alabama have signed behind, you know, their full-time starters, you know, it doesn't look like Nigel Knott's ready to go. Um, I think uh, Jared Maiden is coming on. He had a hip injury that, you know, kind of hindered his development. But, you know, they got to sign four or five guys that can come in and be ready to mix it up and be ready to go. I mean, I wish, uh, you know, I know Avery's gone, but I wish uh, uh, Wallace you know, had one more year of eligibility that somebody can find, you know, for him. He, he is a great player. Yes, he is. I mean, he's probably my favorite story on the team, just – uh, had a tremendous senior season, and uh, that this secondary is one of the best I've seen at Alabama. But you're right; they need to get Patrick Sertain, uh, t- you know, uh, his uh, his teammate uh, Tyson Campbell is very important. Uh, you know, they then they they're looking at at uh, at uh, Kelvin Joseph uh, from Baton Rouge. Uh, they're looking at Savion Smith. I think Savion Smith and the Dab Joseph are already going to be members of this class, but. Uh, they're going to have to figure out probably. I don't if they can't get Dominic Wood Anderson to flip from Texas, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to. I don't think they're going to take a tight end, and they really don't need one when you look at their roster. Uh, I, it, to me, it'd be more important to get a fifth defensive back and, and a quality athlete back there. You've already got, uh, as I said, Jalen Armour Davis, Nadab Joseph, Savion Smith. So uh, Sertain and Campbell would be huge if they could get those guys. They're looking at Joshua Job and really liked him at. You know, it points in the summer, but he, from what I understand, he has not had as good a senior season at uh, Cheshire Academy in Connecticut as they were hoping. As you know, they were they've kind of uh, looked at his film, and it's been good. But I think he's made some mental errors, and his level of play maybe hasn't been uh, to the you know to what they had hoped. And then, like I said, uh, they, they they've got that, they've been recruiting Kelvin Joseph for a while, so it's going to be interesting to see if they can get two of those four and. Uh, it would be a quite a coup to get the two from American Heritage, but I know Georgia is also recruiting Campbell. So I think Alabama, they've got, uh, you know, a lot of playing time to sell. And, I, and I'll be surprised if they don't get their guys from a defensive back standpoint. I think Derek Ainsley, Nick Saban uh, definitely uh, are going to uh, help finish out the class strong. And we'll take an even uh, closer look at it next week during the bye week as we rehash Tennessee. But, William, the last few minutes with you, I, you were part of a lot of great games in the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry. I mean, the 1990 game uh, that, that was 9-6, to six, 
that they win, uh, you know, on the last play from Phillip Doyle, where Alabama was a huge underdog like Tennessee is going to be this weekend. But I got to be honest with you, in all my years of following this game, I'm not sure I've seen a bigger mismatch on paper than the one coming up this weekend. I predicted 48-3 to win for Alabama. What are your thoughts? It sounds like I will add this as we're, as we're recording this podcast. Nick Saban's on his show tonight in Tuscaloosa and basically admitted practice had not gone as well as he had hoped this week. But as he put it tonight, he said, I, I, but I, I set him straight today. So just kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, he's Because I think Nick Saban's always understood how important this rivalry is. And uh, it just looks like a complete mismatch on paper. Well, if Nick Saban said he wasn't happy with practice this week, then we can all expect, uh, get you know, Tennessee getting the shit kicked out of them on Saturday. Um, you know, Drew, what I look at it as, you know, Butch Jones, you know, if you you evaluate him as a head coach, he's done a really good job as a recruiter. They've got players. Um, but, you know, I don't expect this matchup to be close. Um, I, I agree with your score prediction. I think it's going to be somewhere between uh, 41 to 6, maybe, you know, 41 to 13, somewhere in that range. Uh, you know, Alabama is better than Tennessee um, lining up across the board at, you know, 22 positions. Um, you know, they're just better. You know, you saw what uh, a true freshman quarterback last year in Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, did to that Tennessee defense last year up in Knoxville. So now they have to come down here. Um, you know, their, their, their offense is so anemic, you know, I would be surprised if they get across the 50. Um, but, you know, let's watch and see how this game plays out. You know, I'm still on the fence about this Alabama offensive line, um, you know, specifically the right side of the offensive line. You know, they do a good job at mauling people on, on run blocking plays, but when it comes down to – uh, you know, you get into the yellow package and you get in a two-point stance and it's athlete versus athlete. You know, those two guys on the right side of Alabama's offensive line uh, continue to be exposed. Um, you know, I, I just want to see the offense get in a rhythm and, you know, close the deal out. And certainly I think they can do it versus Tennessee. You know, my biggest question is, you know, can they do it versus LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn, you know, in the month of November? Exactly. And uh, I really, Tennessee's only weapon that they have that, uh, that I think can scare an offense right now is John Kelly. And we know what Alabama's done to the running game. I, I think they're going to be able to dominate Tennessee in the trenches and slow down Tennessee's run. Garantano, they were running two-man routes last weekend. He's still a young quarterback. He has – you know, some mobility, but I think Alabama's defense has now been morphed into a, into a one that can defend the mobile QB, and he has to be able to throw, too, and I just don't think Tennessee has – he's not pro- proficient enough of a passer yet, and they don't have the threats outside. I think Alabama will take Callaway away, and it's going to be a long uh, evening. I don't think they're going to fire Butch Jones after the game. I think he's going to be done at the end of the year. I, You know, to me, I think they'll – uh, just do, th- do their back channel due diligence uh, 
uh, to try to move on into the, the next era. But Tennessee football right now, uh, you're right. Bush Jones recruited well, but I think he's got a below-average coaching staff. And I think Tennessee is going to have to kind of blow things up and start over again. But, William, we always appreciate the time. Thank you for your thoughts on the Arkansas game. I mean, it, it was what it was. We thought it was going to be a big tide win, and uh, that was what uh, you know took place. It was good to see your guys come back and then the 1992 reunion, and we enjoyed hearing uh, your thoughts on that last week. And then, uh, and that, uh, and then being able to—I know you weren't able to be there physically, but you've been able to kind of rehash it, uh, as you said, through social media. And we appreciate your thoughts uh, on the Tennessee game and and a little bit of recruiting tonight. Always fun on Bams Radio, and we look forward to catching up with you next week. Thank you, Darren Thomas. Look forward to talking to you next week. Yes, sir. That's William Redfish Barger uh, as we're wrapping it up. And I got to tell you, too, uh, William also had a report earlier this week of, from, ba- from a basketball standpoint of uh, Colin Sexton said, you know, that he had been uh, a, a standout in the last few weeks of practice. And it was basketball media day for the SEC yesterday. And Colin Sexton uh, was a big topic for Avery Johnson uh, and also Braxton Key uh, and uh, Dazon Ingram. Dazon Ingram is healthy. This is going to be a team that I think is going to end uh, the uh, streak of uh, not going to the NCAA tournament since 2012. And if they can peak at the right time and stay healthy, I think they can get into the tournament and do damage. So all I'm telling all the fans is November the 6th is going to be the first chapter in this deal when they play the UAH Chargers and, and, and uh, Lenny Acuff, a great friend of mine, one of the best uh, you know coaches in college basketball and definitely on the Division II level. He's built a top 15 program at UAH. Uh, so I would suggest getting out to Coleman Coliseum to see that game. Uh, they won't play a better opponent in an exhibition game. It's going to be as far as being well coached and disciplined. It's going to give them a good test. And then, of course, November the 10th, they're going to be taking on the Memphis Tigers uh, and Tubby Smith, and you'll get to see the first game that counts, so to speak. And this is going to be an exciting team to watch, an up-tempo basketball team, a much faster team. And in three short years, Avery Johnson has taken this team from being predicted 13th in the SEC to this year being predicted fourth. And I think they could even do better than that if some things fall their way. It's, it's been an amazing run. Uh, Avery's got him in the preseason top 25 for the first time since the early 2000s. So let's pack Coleman Coliseum. And, uh, and we, we saw it's, it's already paying off because he got an outstanding commitment. Uh, this week from Jared Butler, the point guard from Louisiana, that will, I, in my opinion, take the place of Colin Sexton. You're going to see Javion Fleming, the big man from Canton, Mississippi, commit in the next uh, few days into early November and sign. They're going to sign two really good players, and depending on Colin's decision, which, which he will likely go straight to the NBA one and done, they'll probably add Robert Woodard, a small forward from uh, Columbus, Mississippi, in the late period. It's going to be very fun to be an Alabama basketball fan. It's going to be fun basketball to watch. It's only going to continue to get better as Avery is setting the stage for what could be a monster recruiting class in 2019 with in-state kids, Kyra Lewis and Trendon Watford. So as Avery likes to say, you need to buckle up and get ready for Alabama basketball because it's going to be very exciting. I think it's going to be the kind of basketball the fans have been you know, yearning for. And it's going to be really fun to watch this program continue to grow under Avery Johnson's leadership and uh, great staff with Antoine Petway, John Pelfrey, a veteran SEC guy, and now Yasmir Rosemond, uh, the new uh, addition uh, from the University of Georgia. But we thank you for listening uh, to BAMS Radio tonight. 
everyone uh, roll tide. Enjoy the game against Tennessee, and hopefully we're going to be talking about a huge Alabama win, which would be the 11th straight in the series. What a turn of events. Hopefully Nick Saban's about to be 11-0 against the hated Tennessee Volunteers. Good night, and we'll talk to you next week.